0: If you have your Bible, let's open it up in stands and we will read Ephesians 4, verses 1-5. through I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thank you. We are thankful that your steadfast love endures forever. And so we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you because of your son Jesus and what he has accomplished for us. We thank You that we can rest in who we are in Christ. But Lord, we don't just rest, but we also live according to how You call us to live. And so God, as we um, hear from our brother here, and as we look at what You have designed for how we as Christians are called to walk and live differently in this world, Lord, I pray that You would wash us, that You would change us, that You would move in our hearts, But beyond this next hour or so that we are together, Lord, that you would move and change our lives to represent you well in a world that so desperately needs you. Lord, thanks for my brother here. Thank you for the journey that you've had him on. Thank you for opening the door for him to serve faithfully at Windsor Community and just pray for grace on his ministry, that he would continue to love you, that he would love his bride, Audrey, that he would love Zeke and Callie and Ada. And Lord, that he would love your church. And Lord, would you continue to give him just the uh, desire and the passion, and would it be infectious to us all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Sweet, dear saints, whom I love with my whole heart. It's such a joy to be here. Smitty, I'm glad you briefly introduced me because I probably would have, wouldn't have made it even through the introduction. He said, uh, Chad, over under that you cry in the first 10 minutes. And I said, under for sure. And then Drew comes in. He's like, Chad, just remember, you're allowed to cry here still. And I said, thanks, Drew. So, um, so far, so good besides that first song in worship. Um I love you guys, I'm so honored to be here, even, even if we were just somehow got to get away and come worship with you guys and I wasn't preaching, it's, it's such a homecoming for us, it's a reunion, you know how I feel about you for those of you that remember us, if you're new here, welcome, I'm glad you're here, you're at a wonderful church and I'm jealous of you, and almost two years later our kids still genuinely say, Mom and Dad, can we go back to the crossing? And we say, no, God's called us here, but we'll go visit sometime, so I gotta stop there. Um, we're in this summer series, you guys know, um, and But Beck is one of my great friends, also one of my best friends, and he said, hey Chad, instead of preaching one of your favorite passages, since you've pretty much already done all your favorite passages for the crossing, would you want to do a little mini-series with me through the book of Ephesians, and we'll call it Sick Walk Stand, and you're going to have the big chunk in the middle called Walk, and I said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. So that's what I'll be preaching this morning, this idea of walking. I'm going to be trying to cover a lot. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, verse 9. Don't worry, we're not going to do a deep dive into all that. I'm going to try to stay 30,000 foot. I want to start, I hope you guys will give me grace, I want to start with a story that I've shared with you before. It was at least three years ago that I shared it. I hope you've forgotten it, and I know there's a lot of new people in this church body But if you do remember the story, it's a short rerun. I hope you'll give me grace. A lot of you know that I have a background in track and field. And my senior year of high school, the boys team was one of the favorite teams to win the state championship. And I was a sprinter and my specialty was the 400 meters. If you don't know what that is, that's one lap around the track. Yes, I'm a masochist. I loved it. I love it. And I also loved it because you had two opportunities in every track meet to run the 400. You could run the open 400, you know, by yourself, out of the block. And you could also run the 4x400 four meter relay. Um, from here on out, I'm going to call that the 4x4 four four for short. And so um, going into the 4x4 the four four state championship final, we know that it's between my high school, Fort Collins High School, the baby lambs, any lambkins in here? Yeah. Yes. One, <laughs> the baby lambs. And uh, we knew Smoky Hill. I think that's a school in Denver. They were um, doing really well. And it was going to be between Fort Collins High School and Smoky Hill to win the state championship. And we knew we had to do good in this four by four. That was one of the other reasons I love the four by four, because it's always the last event of any track meet. And I always competed well under pressure. So me and my teammates were warming up in this special area at Jeffco Stadium in Denver. And we see three of our coaches coming towards us to the warm-up area and they see us and they beckon us over and we're like, whoa, this is weird. Usually it's just one coach that's coming over after our warm-up to give us like a pow-wow speech, but three are coming over right as we've kind of started our warm-up. And they say, you guys, we just had a big coach's debate on whether or not to tell you what we are about to tell you. But oh, we've decided we're going to tell you. Guess what? You guys are state champions. As a boys' team, You guys have competed so well the last two days at the state track meet that you guys could drop the baton, you could get disqualified, Smoky Hill could get first in this 4x4, and you guys are still state champions. Way to go, congratulations, we, just wanted, we decided we wanted to share that with you before you run. And I remember getting really emotional, weird for me, I know, I'm, I'm like crying, you senior year, like how else does an athlete want to finish their senior year but by being a state champion? Um, but I have this, this moment of joy, and then it goes away, and I have this moment of determination. My, my guys leave the huddle, the coaches huddle, and they're going to start warming up. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 come here, come here. We huddle back up. I'm a team captain. You guys, this is my senior year. At this point, I don't even know that I'm going to run track in college, so I'm thinking this is my last race competitive track meet ever. Hey, congrats. I love you guys. But you're not about to go out and sandbag this 4x4, are you? And they're like, come on, Chad, no way. Are you kidding me? I didn't mention to you guys, we are the top seed in the 4x4 as well. But they're like, we are, we're not going to go run easy. We're going to go run our butts off. And I said, good, because that's how I feel too. And climax of climax is true story, we went out and we won the 4x4. And we, we ran the fastest time we'd run all season. Each of our splits was the fastest split we had run as individuals. And we won. And I just, I lost it, obviously. I'm crying to end my senior year as boys overall state champions and the 4x4 state champions. But let me play some what-ifs with you guys for a minute. What if coaches came over to us and said, you're state champions, congratulations. And we said, sweet, let's run up to the concession stand. This is what an 18-year-old boy thinks, seriously. Maybe even a 36-year-old boy thinks. Let's run up to the concession stand. Let's get a bunch of nachos, Coke, hot dogs, cotton candy. Let's have an eating contest. And then we'll have an inter relay. Whoever doesn't throw up wins. Maybe we decide... Let's just go get stuff at the concession stand and not run the 4x4. Who cares? Or maybe we don't go to the concession stand, but we sandbag it. We run easy. Maybe coaches came to us and said, hey, guess what? You guys haven't competed very well. Even if you get first place in the 4x4 and Smoky Hill gets disqualified, you're still getting fourth place in the state meet. The reality is none of those ways is what happened. When we heard that amazing news, we still wanted to go out and to run really hard. I think that's a good picture of the Christian life, the relationship between salvation and good works, or to use the words of this mini-series, the relationship between sitting and walking. And you might hear me say running or striding, but I'm using that synonymously with walking. I wonder if any of you have struggled with this question, maybe especially as Protestants and many of us Reformed believe in God's sovereignty and salvation. We believe in justification by faith alone, and we might think, What's the point? If God has saved us before our walk and despite our walk, why walk? Why run hard? It's okay if you've wondered that. I think you're allowed to wonder that. But I think a better question, and and Christians, we know this, is is why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to walk? Why wouldn't we want to run hard? As Christians, we're, we're seated. We're saved. Victory is guaranteed, but we don't respond to that with lazy indifference. The Spirit in us makes us want to walk. Makes us want to run hard, joyfully, and worshipfully. Doesn't it? So last week, Beck told us the context of Ephesians. He reminded us the structure of the book in this mini-series, Sit, Walk, Stand. If I'm going to be a nerd and alliterated, I'm going to say sit, stride, stand. And last week, he preached on Ephesians 1-3, through 3, which was sit. He reminded us of our position as Christians. We are eternally saved and seated with Christ and in Christ in heaven in the past, present, and future. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been predestined, made alive because of God's grace and not our own works so that we can't boast. And those in Christ who are seated in Christ in the heavenly places aren't only Jews, but it's for Gentiles as well. Oh, the joy of salvation. I was worshiping during Beck's sermon last week. We don't move on from this news. I mean, man, if I could say that's like the one thing, the big thing I learned in this church body and from your pastors is we don't move on from the Gospel. It's not just the entry point into the Christian life. It's the path we walk. My prayer for me and for you guys is that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now Paul and we turn to chapters 4 through 6, verse 9. Paul changes the theme from sitting to walking. One commentary says it like this, this shift can be expressed in many ways, from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, the Christian's wealth to his walk, from exposition to exhortation, from the indicative to the imperative, from high society to high life. Walking, meaning our conduct, actions, and attitudes, how we live our lives. Sitting and walking are not unrelated, as if they're completely different disciplines in the Christian life. Walking is how we apply the truth of being seated in Christ. So Paul, in these chapters, gives many specific examples to everyday life in the conduct and attitudes that are being that are to be exemplified in the followers of Jesus Christ. There's a lot in these two chapters. I won't and cannot claim this sermon to be exhaustive. In fact, because of the inability to give a fair treatment on every single idea in here in these chapters, this will be more like a 30,000-foot view. I'll start with a very important caveat. You all know it. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it at the end. We only start walking... After we've been seated in Christ, I have to start here and I have to end here. Behavior always follows being born again, conduct always follows calling. If you're a Christian, it's because God has saved you. He seated you in Christ and Christ in you, and you've been saved eternally because of what God has done. There's a debate, as we know, about the role of works, the role of walking in the Christian life. Rome says that we're justified by our faith and our works. Others in Protestantism say that we start our Christian life by faith, but we will be finally justified by our works, or lack thereof. But as Protestants, again, especially Reformed, who stand on justification by faith alone, yet still we would say along with the Reformers that justifying faith never is alone. True, justifying faith is evidence that someone is indeed born again, regenerate, and therefore a new creation, and has new desires and joys and affections. One confession puts it like this, Good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruit and evidence of a true and living faith. Through good works, believers express their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance. Build up their brothers and sisters, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of opponents, and glorify God. Believers are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, so that they bear fruit, leading to holiness, and have the outcome, eternal life. True faith will always come with a desire to obey, even if that's happening in the midst of disobedience. We know we don't like it. I don't want to do this, Lord. Help me. I repent of it. To use the words of this series, sitting will always be followed by walking, or at least the desire to walk. And not just walking, but a joyful ability, a worshipful ability to walk, to run hard. We'll never do it perfectly, ever. Something we say at Windsor Community Church a lot is, it's about direction, not perfection. So as we look at the walk this morning, I've structured the message around three ideas. First, we'll see the command to walk. Second, we'll see the walk of a new creature. And third, we'll see the why of the walk. And if you don't hear anything else from me this morning, I hope you'll hear this. Since our position is secure in Christ, we joyfully walk. Because it's commanded, because we're new creatures, and chiefly because Christ died. So let's look at this first point. We're going to bounce around. I'll share with you verses. You can flip there with me. I would encourage you to do so. First, let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul starts chapter 4 where he starts applying his gospel theology to every life by saying, therefore, reminding us that because of what is true of us in Christ, because we're seated, we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Every imperative that he is about to give, 39 to be exact, are because of our seat in Christ. And therefore, we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The Greek word translated worthy is axios, which has the root idea of weight. God through Paul is saying that we should live lives in accordance with the weight of all the blessings mentioned in chapters 1-3. through Not that it's a heavy load, but the blessings are so profound and awe-inspiring that we shouldn't take it lightly. One way I would say it is this. Conduct your life as if the Son of God died in your place to save you from an eternity in hell and gave you every spiritual blessing and enables you... To live a life that will glorify Him. One thing Paul isn't saying, though, is this: the worthiness of the way that you live your life is how you pay God back for saving you. Brothers and sisters, beware the debtor's ethic. You you could not, you could never, in a million years and a million lifetimes of good works, pay God back. And to be honest, it, it cheapens grace and it lowers the magnitude of what He's done as we seek to walk, we aren't trying to prove to God or to ourselves or to each other that we were worth it to be saved. Our lives are to be lived in joyful, worshipful response to what God has done for us in Christ, knowing that we could never, ever pay Him back. Let's look now at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. We are God's children. Don't don't you want to imitate Him? Don't you want to be like Him? Parents, don't you notice that, especially if you have young kids like me, they want to be like you naturally? I was so tempted to play a video in here. I just didn't think I was going to have time, but I'm going to tell you about it. When I was the intern here, I would let my son Zeke come with me sometimes to work for just a short afternoon. He was four years old at the time, and I hear Zeke speaking behind me to nobody. And so I get my phone and sneakily like see what he's doing. And he's got one of the music stands, and he's preaching a sermon. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Ask me after church, and I'll, I'll show you. But he's like, you don't have to be afraid, because God is good. Verse 19, God is good, so don't be afraid. And I'm not teaching Zeke, like, you should be like me. You should want to be a pastor or a preacher when you grow up. It just is natural for Zeke. And isn't it natural for God's children to say, I want to be like you, Dad, Abba. I want to be just like you and your love, and I want to be like you, so I want to walk in love. What else is He like? Study it. Imitate it. We see who, what He's like and how we can imitate Him in His Word. Let's look now at chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here we're reminded that before Christ we were darkness. But now we are light in the Lord, so we should walk as children of light. What does that look like? Well, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And it's assumed or implied, but good and right and true according to God. He gets to define Good and right and true. Living in light of His Word and who He is. Not living in sin. Fighting it. Even exposing the works of darkness, as it says a few verses later. Finally, let's look at this last general command to walk. Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The qualifier here is to walk wisely. Applying the knowledge of God and His ways to every situation, seeking to use every moment for His glory. Carefully. Not as if every misstep could cause us to careen off into the cliff of God's wrath, but remembering that life is a vapor and trying to use the the time that God gives us well. Listen to the way Moses puts it in Psalm 90, verses 10-12. through The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. So, there we are. Those are the, those are the basic commands, a shallow dive of how we are to walk with some qualifiers. We, we need to walk because it's commanded by God. We should walk worthy and weighty, imitating and loving as children of light and walk wisely. We walk as Christians because it's commanded. But why do we want to obey that command? Because we're new creatures. And here in this point, we won't look at, we'll look at a few specifics of how we should walk. Again, without going into too much detail here, trying to cover them all. So let's look at the walk of a new creature, or as the text puts it, the new self. So look with me at uh, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Some of you got saved at five years old and praise God for that. I didn't get saved till I was 26 and I remember my life before following Jesus. I remember the way you lived before experiencing the radical grace of God. Things you did which now you're embarrassed and saddened by. When the thoughts of our minds were futile, we didn't have understanding of the things of God, we were separated from the life of God because of our ignorance and the hardness of our own hearts. We lived in sensuality and impurity, but that is not who we are anymore. That is not who you are anymore, Christian, and that is not who I am anymore. If you're with us this morning and you're not a Christian, I commend the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. He will change your life. He will show you that the things you've been living for don't save and they don't satisfy. And He can save you and satisfy your heart. To those of you who are Christians in here, most of you, brothers and sisters of the crossing, we have not only heard of Jesus, but we've been seated in Him. Taught in Him, as the text says. So we put off our old self. The old self, the one who is futile in mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant and hard-hearted, living in sensuality and impurity, corrupt through deceitful desires, is dead. That person died with Christ. That was our former manner of life. So now as new creatures, we are renewed in the spirit of our minds and we put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word put on means to sink into, to clothe oneself. It's not as if as Christians sometimes we're old and sometimes we're new. When we are placed in Christ, we are new. It's just that sometimes we act out of, we don't always act out of that new identity. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So we are to sink into our new selves. To remember who we are in Christ and the power that we have by His Spirit in us. When we give in to lust, to angry outbursts, to fear and anxiety, to sinful control of people or situations, we must remember that that is not who we are anymore. To turn away from those actions and to sink into our new self. In other places, we're reminded that as new people, we have the Spirit of God in us. I'll read a few more verses quickly. Chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Chapter 5, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As new creatures, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and He enables us to walk. He enables us to run in joyful obedience and for the glory of His name. Apart from the Spirit, we can't live out our faith. The Spirit fills us and gives us the power to be who we are in Christ and to obey the the 39 imperatives mentioned in these chapters of Ephesians and throughout the rest of the Scriptures. I'm going to speed through a few right now really quick. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. The walk of a new creature, filled by the Spirit, according to chapter 4, verses 1-12, through will be humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Oh, that we would, by the Spirit, fight for this kind of unity in the church. Oh, that all of us would do better when... COVID 23 comes around. We might not land in the exact same places theologically, politically, culturally, socially, but there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. He's overall, through all, in all, and so we walk in unity as new creatures. In chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, the new creature will put away falsehood the truth with his neighbor. Be angry and not sin, not let the sun go down on their anger. Not steal, but do honest work that they may have something to share with anyone in need. Not No corrupting talk come out of their mouth, but only such as is good for building up. They will let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from them along with all malice. They will be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. Let me highlight a few of those. One of these is actually pretty personal. I might even have time to share more. (laughs) Are you bitter at someone in this body? Or someone outside of the body? I think we all struggle with this more than we want to admit. Let me tell you this. Bitterness is poison. It's not who you are. Put it away. Seek reconciliation, forgive them, whether or not they've asked for it. And if you need to ask them for forgiveness, go ask them. Bitterness will destroy your joy. Uh, About 11 days ago, um, God has been showing this to me through some discipleship at our church. And 11 days ago, I met with a guy uh, who really hurt me at the first church I served at. And it's embarrassing to say, but it's five years later, I've been bitter at him for five years. And I've been fighting for forgiveness. I haven't been saying, Lord, I don't want to forgive. It was too hurtful. But um, I didn't expect to hear him ask me for forgiveness. I forgave him before the Lord and before my wife and my pastor and his wife. But I went to him because there were some things that I think I sinned against him. And I said, would you please forgive me for these specific things? And one of them was really awkward to say. I threw him under the bus in front of his best friend. And he he joyfully forgave me. And I think for the first time in five years, finally, that root of bitterness is out. And through prayer, we're spraying our last few bits of Roundup on that root. And and seriously, you guys, for the last 11 days, there's a deeper gratitude and joy that I'm free of this bitterness. And I just commend you guys. If it's someone in this body or someone outside the body, forgive them. In the name of Jesus, forgive them. And go seek forgiveness if you need to ask. What about wrath? Anger? Malice? Are those finding a place in your heart? Put them away, new creature. Put them away. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In chapter 5, verses 3 through 21, we're told the new creature will not walk in sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, that their speech won't be filthy or crude, but full of thanksgiving. They won't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead will expose them. They won't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. In verses chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Finally, at the end of chapter 5 through chapter 6, verse 9, we read about how to walk in the midst of our human relationships. Husbands and wives, children and parents, bond servants and masters, which I believe the application there is employees and employers. I'm not even going to do a shallow dive into those verses. We don't have time. If you're a Christian, you're a new creature. And if you have a wife or a husband, if you have a child or a parent, if you are a boss or have a boss, God's Word has directions on how you are to live out your faith in those areas. I commend those verses and chapters for you to read this week. If we zoomed out, considering all the imperatives from these chapters and from the Bible as a whole, we could say that the one word that sums all of these imperatives up is love. One puts it like this, love is the most important of all the virtues because when it is consistently displayed all of the other virtues will naturally be embraced. When Christians love each other, they will be careful to speak kindly to each other. When Christians love one another, they will not be bitter, angry, wrathful, or malicious toward one another, but instead will be willing to work hard so that they can share with those in need. So we're new creations in Christ with a new heart and therefore new desires. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, new abilities to obey the imperatives set forth in these chapters. And finally, I want to look at why we walk. In which the chief reason is that Christ died to save us and to enable us to do so. But in these chapters, Paul gives some other implications that are tied to Christ's death as to the why we walk. So let's look at a few of these. Number one, One of the reasons we walk is for unity and progress. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Parents, it's hard and, and sad to see our kids grow up so fast, isn't it? Audrey and I have been honestly lamenting and getting emotional about our two-year-old. She's our last baby, and she's growing up way too fast. But the reality is we want them to grow up, don't we? We want them to learn how to walk. We are so excited that we are moments away from never buying another diaper again. Thank you. Yes, amen. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to learn how to walk. He wants us to grow in our unity, as I've already mentioned, but also maturity. It says to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we could say unity, maturity, conformity. We are to grow in our Christ likeness. And living out our faith as we learn to apply God's Word in our lives is what does that. It's how we progress. Walking is how we progress. As we mature and make progress, we're no longer children tossed to and fro. Disoriented by false doctrines, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, we are to grow up into Christ, who is the head of this church and every true church. The second reason we walk, which is related to unity, is that we're members of one another. Look at chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are members of one another. The church isn't like a family. The church is a family. The church isn't like a body. The church is a body. When we don't act like the new creatures that we are, when we're arrogant and harsh, impatient, divisive, bitter, angry, wrathful, full of malice, we are hurting our own bodies. When we're doing a project at home, we do everything we can not to hit the hammer onto our finger. We are very careful and passionate about not smashing our own finger. Do we avoid bitterness towards our brothers and sisters as, with as much passion? Realizing that bitterness towards them is as good as smashing my own finger with a hammer? Finally, and obviously most importantly, chiefly, we walk because Christ died to save us and to enable us to walk. I'll read just a few verses here. Ephesians 4 32. I know I've said it five times. Six is good. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 5 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice. To God. And then, as Paul is applying the gospel to the way that husbands love their wives, he says this in chapter 5, 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's not as if the Gospel only applies to the way that husbands love their wives. It applies to every single way that we walk. Crossing church, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave Himself up for you, and He will and He is sanctifying you. He will cleanse you. He will present you to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle that you might be holy and without blemish. Christ died to purchase our salvation and to give us a seat. But He also died to enable us to walk. To make us want to run hard. As Hebrew says, to run the race that is set before us. God has come to us in Christ, placed us in Him in Heaven eternally secure. Our glorification is guaranteed. And when we're born again, we become new creatures. We don't want to sit around and do nothing. That message and that news and that life change does not come with lazy indifference. We want to go out and run hard. We want to. And we joyfully do. We try to obey Him and to live as new creatures because He died to make us so. I'll land the plane with this. I know you guys are in the book of Luke. You've taken a little summer break. And in God's providence, Windsor Community Church is also going through the book of Luke. And when you guys pick it back up, you're going to see soon Jesus talking about the cost of discipleship. And I couldn't help but think of that as I preach a sermon on walking. There's a cost, brothers and sisters. You know that and you've experienced it. We're not promised an easy life. Jesus tells these would-be disciples, it's not going to be comfortable. Total commitment's going to be hard. It's going to mess with your relationships. But I say, along with every Christian in here, it's worth it, isn't it? We look back at what He's done and the promises that are to come. And I know I can speak for you guys when I say He is worthy. I don't care how hard the run is. I'm saved. So I'm going to go out and run hard. Let's pray. God, I pray that you do it in us. I pray that You would just give us such a passion and an awe about what You've done for us. That You've seated us in Christ. And that we would walk, Lord. That we would run hard for Your glory. Not for our salvation, but from it. That we would be captivated and gripped by who You are. And that we would live worthy of the calling to which you've called us. We love you and praise you, and I thank you for this church, and I pray that you would continue to help them grow in the, the length and the breadth and the width and the depth of your love for us in Christ, and that they would run hard for your glory and for their joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.